Welcome to BIV Today, the business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, markets were more than just a little rattled this week with giant drops all over the place. And joining us today to offer some context it is Andre Pavlov. He's a professor of finance at the Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University. Andre, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Of course. Thank you for having me. So one of the things that I think jumps out to a lot of Canadians here is the precipitous drop in oil prices. We see that there's an ongoing dispute between Russia and Saudi Arabia, but maybe put this into context for us a little bit here at home. Should Canadians be concerned by the way that oil is dropping so much just in the last few days? Yeah, so there are a couple of factors that play into that. First, obviously, as you mentioned, it's the dispute between Russia and Saudi Arabia in terms of oil production. And then um, more importantly, with um, coronavirus, where uh, people are clearly not traveling and uh, goods are moving uh, less and all that. So so we just need uh, less uh, oil. And when you combine those two forces, drop in demand and, and increase in supply, um, you see the kind of uh, price drop that is uh, very, very substantial. Um, but that um, you know shouldn't be really surprising. That's an outcome of, of those two forces working together and combining to work together at the same time. Um, now Canada is obviously highly exposed to that because um, oil is still a very significant sector of our economy, and when oil prices drop, that does have implications for all of Canada. Uh, in my view, there is um, a bit of good news here, which is. Our oil companies um, are used to uh, to getting to selling their product at a substantial discount, and the reason is we they they're not allowed really to get their product to market, so they are already used to uh, to receiving um, a very substantial discount for their product. If we now gather the political will to actually let them build the pipelines and and energy infrastructure they need, uh, that will raise that substantial discount and at the end of the day they might actually be receiving the same price despite the the huge drop now just as long as we eliminate the the discount due to uh, their difficulty in getting product to market. What does it also mean for the Canadian dollar? We've seen it dropping more and more just in the last few weeks. Does this oil row just exasperate where the loonies headed more even at this point? Yeah, so um, I think yesterday the Canadian dollar dropped uh, over a percent, and, and then today it's another half a percent or so. Those are very substantial moves for a major currency. Uh, but it's not surprising, as I said, uh, the Canadian economy is still highly dependent on oil. Um, and um, when that um, suffers, um, obviously that uh, translates into lower demand for Canadian dollars. It's more than that, though, because uh, the Canadian economy is obviously an export-oriented economy. We still um, sell a lot of um, things overseas, mostly you know raw materials, but um, you know also some products. And when the demand for pretty much everything drops, all consumer goods drops because people are uh, are unlikely to to spend on durable goods when you know, the one they're trying to survive. Uh, when that happens, um, the world demand for all of our products, not just oil, drops. And that obviously impacts the Canadian dollar. 
Yeah, so does that mean even if the dollar's not, or if, if the dollar's going down, most people think, well, okay, exports should be going up then. But I'm wondering if we do have a bit of a flattening of the overall global economy, is there going to be that much more demand for exports? So this is really the uh, the trade-off between short-term and long-term. Um, in my view, the virus is affecting us over a relatively short period of time. Uh, I think most people believe that we'll get over this one way or another within um, you know a few months rather than a few years. Uh, so a relatively short-term uh, problem tends to reverse because once we get on top of the virus, then people are going to catch up on all their... Um, a delayed spending, and, and that could create an economic boom uh, after that. Uh, so um, I'm still hopeful. I realize this is uh, what I'm describing is a bit of an optimistic scenario, but uh, I'm still hopeful that um, that's actually what plays out, um, and, and then the decline is temporary, and that, that will be more than made up in the subsequent rebound. Um, there are risks, though. For example, interest rates are very low. If uh, people use that to overextend themselves, um, both individuals and companies, if they use that to overextend themselves and and borrow more, that could translate a short-term problem into a long-term problem. And then the recovery isn't going to be all that uh, great because people have overextended themselves and bought assets, real estate, for example, that um, they really couldn't afford. Yeah, I recall the Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Paulus. He was in uh, Vancouver back in January, I believe. I, I was there, and he mentioned how much th- this vulnerability exists for people possibly overextending themselves like this. But, of course, we saw the Bank of Canada last week. It cut its key rate by another 50 basis points. It's down to 1.25%. Um, that is a vulnerability here, especially in British Columbia. But, I don't know, if you're looking at the real estate sector – do you anticipate that we are going to see a, another flurry of buying activity as mortgage rates potentially go down? Well, I think uh, the markets were starting to pick up in terms of both uh, transactions and prices. And I think that was reflecting the fact that so many people delayed purchases for two or three years um, in response to the uh, provincial policies that were implemented. Um, I think that's... Um, that's uh, probably uh, there's some catch-up there to do. Also, um, those same policies have uh, just about destroyed supply. So there's uh, our new supply has declined from already incredibly low levels. And when you have no new supply, there's only so long people um, are going to be able to delay their purchases because uh, life goes on, families get built and, uh, and expanded, and, and people need places to live. Um, so that was already happening. The low interest rates will probably stimulate that uh, that trend uh, even further. Uh, but again, if um, you know, if if I'm at all qualified to give any advice, it would be for people not to extend themselves because um, you know, as I mentioned, that can convert a short-term problem. Uh, in my view, the virus is a short-term problem, and uh, that can convert it into a very long-term. And, you know, fairly painful uh, adjustment uh, for a number of years. Well, the other thing that I am very curious about, though, is uh, sometimes the markets seem to have this idea that, you know, you you cut interest rates and, and that will just inject more capital into the system. Everything will be right by that. 
Is that necessarily kind of how it works, though? I, I'm just wondering if it is a dangerous pre- precedent. We, we see the, the Fed, they cut their uh, their key rate last week, and Canada quickly followed as well. What do you make of this kind of idea, especially when it comes to investors, about, well, we just need to keep cutting interest rates to spark economic activity? Yeah, well, I, I don't think either... Um Either of the central banks had a choice. They, they, I think they, they had to cut interest rates. Otherwise, they would be blamed for, you know, not acting in the face of a pretty adverse um, global economic circumstances. Uh, you're correct. When there's no demand for anything uh, other than essentials, uh, companies aren't necessarily going to invest in expanding production. But nevertheless, cutting interest rates helps those companies and also individuals to, um, you know, to, to, to cut their costs, right? So that, that reduces their um, uh, interest expenses and that allows them to survive, to survive. So uh, it, um, by doing so, you really, in my view, the goal is to help people and companies survive this downturn and not go into bankruptcy so that their operations and their assets and their people are in place for uh, to take advantage of the recovery. Um, in my view, that's uh, that's kind of the most direct way in which uh, lower interest rates help. But again, as I said, if, if those lower interest rates are used instead to buy assets, um, you know, such as real estate, um, that um, that could um, you know that could play in in a in a negative way and and. and jeopardize the subsequent recovery. Now, at the very start of our conversation, we, we touched on oil prices, but the other very significant thing that happened this week was we saw this panic sell-off uh, uh, on stock markets across the world. Is this a response to legitimate concerns over coronavirus, or is it maybe a response to maybe lack of faith in how some governments are reacting to the outbreak? What, what's your take on what's uh, been going on this week? Well, I think... Uh Part of it, at least, is um, uh, the, the fact that markets were probably getting overextended before uh, the outbreak. And, uh, and correction of some sort was probably coming anyway. Certainly not as deep and certainly not as, um, you know, as quick. Um, but, you know, we've had uh, a fantastic run in the stock market for two or three years, maybe four um, and uh, and with that kind of run, inevitably, there's going to be some pullback at some point. Uh, and it's possible that the outbreak was just the catalyst to bring that all that pullback right now. And on top of that, there is absolutely a real effect uh, from the outbreak because people are not traveling, they're not going out to restaurants, they're not doing a whole a whole bunch of things that puts uh, really the brakes on the economy. So uh, there is a real effect, and that's probably uh, this uh, combined with a little bit of a pullback that was probably due um, at some point anyway. Uh, so together you get uh, a pretty sharp decline like the one we saw over the past couple of days. Um, neither of those, in my view, are particularly concerning regarding the long-term growth of our uh, economy. And the reason is really technology. So clearly we're, we're making huge uh, advances in, uh, in all kinds of wonderful technologies that increase our productivity. And uh, as long as you can hold your investments for 
you know, a few years before you have to sell, uh, hopefully at retirement or something. So hopefully you can have a few years to to hold on to this. Uh, if history is any guide at all, uh, you know, we recover from this kind of crisis just fine. Yeah, and maybe we can leave it off with this, but uh, again, you're pointing to the difference between the long-term versus the, the, the short-term here. How long do you think it's going to take until we have like a, a good, strong grasp of, of the short-term implica- implications of COVID-19 and the, the outbreak and what it could rack upon the economy? Well, a doctor would be better able to answer that question sure, because sure. <laughs> this is more of a, more of a medical question. Um, from what I gather, the vaccine is still quite a few months away, uh, maybe a year away. So, uh, so that that's quite uh, a while. But we look at uh, some optimistic signs. So uh, it looks like China is getting a handle of of the virus in terms of very few new cases there. Same with South Korea. So those are the, the obviously the first countries that were hit with uh, with the virus. Uh, so if um, you know, I mean, they've had to implement pretty draconian measures to get to that point. Uh, but I, as far as I I can tell, there were no new cases in BC yesterday. So uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, you know the measures we're taking are starting to take effect. In my view, we should do more. Uh, I think we're a bit too casual about it. Uh, I don't see why uh, people who can work from home. Uh, can't work, are not working from home, and you know, uh, I think we should uh, we should do a little bit more, maybe right now, uh, to starve to to starve off uh, a further spread. But um, there are signs that the countries that were hit first are getting on top of it, and they did that within a month or so, maybe two months. Uh, so you know, it's hard to tell. It all depends what we do. It really is up to us. The virus doesn't travel on its own. It doesn't have legs or wings. We're spreading it, right? It needs us to spread it. So it really is kind of up to us to um, to stop that. Yeah. Uh, well, Andre, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today and just offering your insights. And I think you did help, you know, just provide a lot of context to our listeners about what's been going on the past few weeks here economically. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's Andrew Pavlov. He is professor of finance at the Beatty School of Business at Simon Fraser University. And that's it for the show today. I want to thank you for listening. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Tell your friends. Leave us five stars. It's going to help more people find the series. And for now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening. 